we find ourselves in this study of Ruth in the third verse of the third chapter. In that verse, we find Naomi giving her daughter-in-law Ruth some very practical advice. She says in that verse, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. You know, there are special occasions in our life that call for us to be at our finest. Certain events call for us to look our best, act our best, wear our best, and be at our best. There are times that we would not want to be like the woman that made a mad dash out of her house when she heard the garbage truck pulling away. She realized that she had not put the garbage out that morning. So she grabbed the garbage and ran out the door. Her hair was wrapped in big curlers. Her face was covered with face cream. And she was in her bathrobe and an old pair of slippers. She ran out to the street and yelled, Am I too late for the garbage? The fellow on the back of the truck yelled back, Nope, hop right on in. At our point in Ruth's story, we find one of those occasions in her life that called for her to be at her best to be at her finest. The events that are taking place are strange to our Western minds. Her actions to us seem aggressive and questionable. Yet what Naomi instructed Ruth to do was customary and common to the Jewish people of that time. In a nutshell, Ruth is about to become engaged to Boaz. The first steps of her becoming the wife of Boaz are about to be taken and it called for her to be at her finest. The instructions of Naomi to Ruth were, to paraphrase, wash thyself, anoint thyself, and dress thyself. Naomi wanted Ruth to be at her finest when this glorious event took place. There is coming a day when we that have been saved and are laboring in the Lord's field will become the wife of the Lord. Now, of course, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ collectively, but the truth is that the church is made up of you and me. We are the church. So in that sense, you and I, all the saved of the Lord, will be wed to the Lord one day. When that hour comes, we want to be at our very finest. The Apostle John described the celebration at the wedding and the preparation of the wife. We read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. We, as the future wife of the Lord Jesus, want to make ourselves ready. When that hour comes, we want to be at our finest, at our very best. The actions of Ruth as she prepared to meet Boaz at the threshing floor ought to be the same actions we take as we prepare to meet Christ. In our Bible study in Revelation, we talked about being ready at all times to meet Christ, for we know not when He will come for us. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And whatever hour that should be, it is an hour that calls for us to be at our finest. In Ruth's actions, we are reminded that we should cleanse ourselves. We read in Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, that the first thing Naomi instructed Ruth to do was cleanse herself. She said, Wash thyself therefore. 
When we meet our heavenly Boaz, we want to meet him without spot, without defilement. To meet the Lord this way involves first a consciousness of sin. David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David wanted God to make him conscious of anything in his life that was not pleasing to him. David wanted God to do an audit of his heart and let him know if anything was out of order. Now let me be clear, the Bible declares that once we are saved, our sins, past, present, and future, are all paid for. They are all covered and therefore under the blood. So sin in our life, sin in our heart, will not keep us from being saved. But it will hinder our walk and our relationship with the Lord. Sin in our life keeps God from fully blessing us and it will eventually lead to the Lord chastening us. So even though we are saved, we must constantly be looking for and dealing with sin in our life. And like David, it is important to ask the Lord to reveal any sin in our life or heart. But a consciousness of sin is just the starting point in cleansing ourselves of sin. You see, it also involves a confession of sin. If there is consciousness of sin, there should be a confession of that sin. David said in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Confession is the act whereby we acknowledge our sin and we admit it to the Lord. It is the act of getting it right in our life and getting it out of our life. There is a revealing of sin and that is followed by a repentance of sin. Confession is not just saying, I have sinned. That is a part of confession. But true and genuine confession also includes repentance. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What does it mean to repent? What is repentance? It means asking forgiveness and then stopping the sin. You have not really dealt with the sin in your life until you stop the sin. And cleansing also involves a cleansing of sin. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John tells us that the objective of the Christian life is to be clean from sin. But if there is failure, there can be a cleansing of sin. We read in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is ready to forgive and He is righteous to do so. He is righteous to forgive because the payment for your sin was made by Jesus on the cross. So to be at our finest spiritually speaking, there must be a consciousness of sin, a confession of sin, and a cleansing of sin. To maintain a proper and close walk with the Lord, we must constantly deal with any sin in our life. 
John B. Gow, the great temperance orator, died while delivering one of his famous lectures. His last sentence was, Young man, keep your record clean. You know, that should be our goal as a Christian. That should be our goal as a follower of Christ, to keep our record before the Lord clean at all times. Charles Tindley said it well in his great hymn, Nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. We are also reminded that to meet the Lord at our finest, at our best, we should consecrate ourselves. The second thing Naomi instructed Ruth to do was to anoint herself. Naomi said to Ruth in verse 3, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. Now in our previous study, I touched on this idea of anointing with oil. Oil generally, and being anointed with oil specifically, symbolizes the Holy Spirit filling a believer. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The anointing that John is referring to is the Holy Spirit that indwells every genuine Christian. But by extension, the anointing with oil symbolizes other things. And in fact, the anointing of oil is very common in the Bible. It literally refers to the pouring of oil on one's head and body. So first, think with me of the common purpose of anointing with oil. Anointing oneself in everyday and common use in biblical times was the same to us as using perfume or cologne. You could say Naomi was saying to Ruth, I want you to smell good when you meet Boaz. Now listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Philippians. There, Paul speaks of the love gifts sent from them, from the Philippians, to Paul and brought to him by an individual named Epaphroditus. In Philippians 4.18, Paul describes the gift and actions of Epaphroditus and the Philippians as a sweet smell to God. He says there, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Our life is to be a sweet aroma to God. Our life is to be one consecrated to God and pleasing to Him. All too often, our life is not pleasing. Rather, it is a putrefying odor instead of a pleasant aroma. Many are like the fellow whose feet stunk so bad that when he put odor eaters in his shoes, he disappeared. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. The word savor there that Paul uses means fragrance. Our life ought to be a delight instead of a disappointment to God. It ought to be a blessing instead of a burden. It ought to be a lovely fragrance instead of a foul stench. And think with me of the ceremonial purpose of anointing with oil. The ceremonial purpose of anointing with oil was to set apart something or someone from secular purposes to spiritual purposes. David was anointed as king. That is, he was set apart from the people as a common citizen and set apart unto God as a crowned king. Consecration in a believer's life is a separation from the world 
and a separation unto God. As a sinner, we lived as a sinner. But now, as a saint, we are to live like a saint. Possibly you have heard of the saying, toe the line. That saying came from the early days of the British Parliament. Years ago, members of Parliament wore swords in the House of Commons, and it was not unusual for there to break out a sword fight between two disagreeing individuals. So to keep the members from fighting during heated debates, the Speaker of the House of Commons forced the government and the opposition party to sit on opposite sides of the chamber. To put it in our vernacular, it would be like the Republicans having to sit on one side and the Democrats on the other. Lines, two sword links plus one foot, were drawn in the carpet. Members were required to stand behind the lines when the House was in session. To this day, when a member steps over the line during a debate, the Speaker yells, Toe the line! The Christian is to draw a line in his or her life, and then they are to toe that line. On one side of the line is the world, and on the other side are the things of God. The Christian then takes his stand on the side of the line with God and lives their life on that side. That is the anointed and consecrated life. That is the general idea of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There are places that a Christian ought not go and things that they should not be doing. There is a conduct that is not becoming to a Christian or to the Lord. And there is a conduct that is proper. Paul said in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation, that word conversation means lifestyle, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It is with such a consecrated life that one wants to meet the Lord. So when the Lord returns and we meet Him, we should have a clear sin account. And we should be living a consecrated life. A life that is set apart for His use. Thirdly, we are reminded that in order to meet the Lord at our finest, we should clothe ourselves. We see that Naomi told Ruth to clothe herself. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. Ruth had come from Moab wearing the garments of a widow. She had gleaned in the field wearing the garments of a worker. Now Naomi says to Ruth, I want you to wear something special. I want you to put on that pretty dress that you have. I want you to look nice for Boaz. The garments of the Christian life speak of that which is seen by those around us. Clothing is a part of our life that others see. It speaks of our testimony and witness. To be at our finest, we need to dress up, you could say. To dress up means that we should wear clothing that is appropriate. Different situations call for different kinds of clothing. You would not wear a wool overcoat in Arizona in July. Neither would you want to wear a tank top and shorts to Alaska in January. Different occasions call for different kinds of clothing. You should not wear a sequin gown and mink fur to the ballpark to watch a Little League game. Neither would you wear blue jeans and a t-shirt if you were invited to the White House to meet the President. There is a life and a testimony that is appropriate for those who are saved. There is a life that should be put off and a life that should be put on by Christians. 
So you could say, metaphorically speaking, a Christian would not want to wear the devil's jeans or Satan's shirt. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, we read this, "...that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness." So, we ought to dress appropriately. And I'm not speaking in an outward sense, though there is certainly a place for appropriate dress for a Christian. But I'm speaking metaphorically. Our lives ought to be clothed in the right way. As people look at our lives, they ought to see the right apparel on us, metaphorically speaking. And to dress up, we should wear clothing that is attractive. Everything Naomi had asked Ruth to do was to make her attractive to Boaz. He was already attracted to her, but Naomi wanted to really get his attention this time. She was saying, Ruth, put on the nicest dress you have. I want you to look good for Boaz. The life that we live as a Christian should have an attraction about it. It should compel rather than repel. There should be something about our life that catches the eye rather than turns the stomach. The book George Washington Had No Middle Name tells about a biography of George Armstrong Custer written by James Warner Bella. It reads, to put it mildly, this was an oddball. If someone wrote your biography, how would they describe you? Would your biography be one that would be sold in Christian bookstores or secular bookstores? Lord Peterborough lodged for a season with Fenelon, Archbishop of Cambrai. He was so delighted with his piety and virtue that he exclaimed, If I stay here any longer, I shall become a Christian in spite of myself. A young minister, when about to be ordained, stated that he, at one period of his life, was nearly an infidel. But, he said, there was one argument in favor of Christianity which I could never refute, the consistent conduct of my own father. It is important to remember that everything Ruth did, cleansing herself, anointing herself, and clothing herself, was for the purpose of pleasing Boaz. And just as Ruth would later that night lie at the feet of Boaz, one day we will bow at the feet of Jesus. We should want to be at our finest, when that day occurs, so that He will be pleased with us. And just let me add a couple of thoughts to that. Being at our best, being at our finest, is not just something we should be when the Lord returns for us. For this is how we are to come into His presence with respect to prayer. The very same criterion approach should be followed as part of our prayer life. The Bible says that sin and lack of consecration hinders our prayer life. The Bible says, for instance, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. David said in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I often wonder how many people's prayer lives are ineffective because they have sin in their life. Because the Lord is not first in their heart, and they are therefore not consecrated unto Him. 
And we can also say that we should come to the house of the Lord in and at our finest. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. When we come to church, we enter into the presence of the Lord, and we should always come, having examined our heart, examined our life for sin. We should be dressed in a clean heart and wearing a consecrated life if we expect the Lord to accept our worship. Look, Sin for those who are saved does not cause them to lose their salvation, but it surely does hinder our fellowship and walk with the Lord. Sin prevents the Lord from fully blessing us and from completely showing us His power. James said in chapter 4, verse 18, Draw an eye to God, and He will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Let us therefore refrain from sin, and when we do sin, let us repent of it. Let us devote our lives to the Lord and not to satisfying the desires of our old nature. And let us live lives that are not only a sweet aroma to the Lord, but are appealing to those around us. So the question I ask myself every day is this, is my life a pleasant aroma to the Lord? Is my life a sweet savor to the Lord? How about yours?